Recruitment Revealed. Listen, learn, adapt. Sponsored by HireUp, a powerful award-winning platform for internal mobility, employee referrals and alumni networks. Visit HireUpOnline.com. All interviews take place over the internet, so please forgive the odd sound distortion. Hello and welcome to Recruitment Revealed. Uh, I'm your host, Gary Burney, and the aim of this is over the next 15 to 20 minutes is to provide you with some recruitment food for thought. Uh, let me introduce you to our guest uh, for this evening, Philip Akko. Philip is a commercial psychologist and author. Phil, hello. Hello, nice to meet you. Uh, nice to meet you too, and thanks for being on the show. In 60 seconds or less, tell me about yourself, Philip. Okay, I'm a commercial psychologist. Um, what's that, you may ask? I use psychology and behavioral science to make it easier for shoppers and consumers to like brands, buy products, and in this example, like candidates. Brilliant. As simple as that. Yeah, I could expand a bit more. I mean, to give you a beautiful example of, if you imagine a poster for a a wine product, you've got a bottle of wine, a glass of wine, and some text. Um, If the glass of wine is on the left of the bottle, as you look at it, it'll sell less than if the glass is on the right. Because 90% of people are right-handed, and what their brain wants to do when they see the advert for the wine is reach in and grab the glass. As we all would. As you all would. So if the bottle's on the right, the bottle's in the way. So you change the glass to the right and people will buy more wine. And we told that to a client and he said, you're, you're talking rubbish. Leave the room or other such words. So we left the room and they did it anyway. And sales went up 32%. And the only variable was moving the glass. Wow. So it works. But that is behavioral science and action. Behavioral science at its, at its core. Perfect. Yeah. And I've done this for 20, year, 20 plus years. And I've amassed a database of 1,500, more than that now, behavioural and psychological insights about how our brains aren't rational supercomputers. Brilliant. Well, let's get into that a bit more. But before we do, my my listeners are going to be saying, Gary, why have you got a a behavioural scientist here and and, and, a commercial psychologist? Uh, And the answer to that is, if you've heard me do any talks uh, at at events, is I often refer to consumers being candidates and candidates being consumers. Uh, And I think we can learn a huge amount on the recruitment side from uh, the marketing departments uh, and also from people like yourself, Philip, who, are, who, who understand consumers and, and what their, their ticks are and what makes them drive towards a particular uh, part of a website and so on, uh, which we'll get into in a few minutes. So, so maybe just as we start this, let's just talk around behavioral science. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge subject, obviously, so I'm, we, we can't go t- too in-depth in, in this uh, short period of time, but maybe just... Uh, the cognitive biases that we all have within us. Yeah, it was thought up until about 1970-something that we were all these uber-rational supercomputers that thought rationally about things and worked things out. And uh, Daniel Kahneman and others worked out that's not the case. We have, I think it's 130-plus behavioural biases where our brains don't think rationally. Uh, we're, we're biased one way or another. To give a simple example, there's one of the biases is called loss aversion. So... This is, we all think the same. This isn't anybody being different. So if you find 10 pounds or lose five pounds, that feels the same. In other words, loss feels twice as bad as, pay, as gain. Sure. So, so if you're framing something as a potential gain, increase in salary or whatever, you have to make that twice as good as if you frame it as preventing a loss. It's, that's one of 130 plus. Wow. Uh, <laughs> It just, it just, I'm just straight away. I'm thinking 130 plus. That's you know mind-boggling when you're trying to get people to 
move through a, a, a customer journey. So, so what do, what areas do you do you focus on? You know, okay, I'll, I'll just I'll come back to that one second. But everybody says, oh, there's all these biases and all this psychology. It's all so confusing. Da 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 da. The way to look at it, I like to think, is a thing called marginal gains. Yeah. Marginal gains was introduced by the British cycling team a couple of Olympics ago, and they said we're not going to do one thing 100% better. We're going to do 100 things, each 1% better. So yeah. if you take each of the things you could do along the journey I'm going to talk about in a moment and change some of them 1%, those 1% mount up, and you end up with a huge overall improvement without actually making much big change. Yeah. So, Steve, Steve, Steve Beresford, wasn't it? Sorry. Is it Steve Beresford? Uh, oh, not Steve. Uh, Beresford's his name. Yeah, maybe not Steve. But anyway, we, we know yeah. who he is. <laughs> but uh, uh, so... Dave multiple... Brailsford. Sorry, so Dave Brailsford. Well done. Well done. We got there in the end. We got there in the end. There's people shouting at the, <laughs> at the podcast. <laughs> it's Brailsford, you idiot. Um, so motivation. What what does motivate people? Well, first of all, you talk, stepping back, um, you just said about along the customer journey, what, what do we look for? Mm. Um, too much in retail, in business, is measured on sales. We should measure other things because if somebody doesn't engage with it, they can't buy it. So you need to measure engagement and sales. If somebody sees it and doesn't appeal to it, then they can't engage with it. And if they don't even see it, they can't engage with it. So it's very important to know along that funnel of see, appeal, engage, and buy, where do people fall off? It's not all about the last bit. Um, to it's use a super touch points then. It's looking at the touch points within... Exactly right. And which touch point, going back to Brailsford, which touch point do we need to address? It's not always the sales one. And a lot of the time, the problem is way before that. If you've got the best display in a big supermarket, but it's in a place where nobody sees it, it won't work. Yes. And you asked the question to catch up there. Sorry, this is the way I do this. I dot about a bit. Um, what motivates us? Yeah. This is going to sound very depressing to anybody hearing this. It's only three things, but they're quite big things. It's fight, flight, and find a mate. That is our emotional drivers. It's can we eat it? Will it eat us? Can we kill it? Will it kill us? And can we keep the species going another generation with it? That's it. That's our emotional brain that we've had for 300 million years, where we've only actually had rational thought for about 20,000 years. Deep, very deep. Sorry, uh, you asked the question. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I got the right answer as well. Um, I'm going to I'm going to jump across because I, I, where where I see uh, a massive massive gap really is on their careers websites okay so they're trying to there's a customer journey taking place there and that's a candidate journey uh, rather than you know a brand looking for the customer journey but the principles are still the same uh, you've got to attract the, the person you've got to look at all the touch points uh, and then you've got to get them to apply and make that as easy as possible to do that which is the, the end goal um, but I just see a lot of companies doing it in a in a disastrous way so so maybe step back and let's look at a brand and what does a brand do to to do that appeal engage buy piece the first point we need to look at is why websites look like they do mm. now as far as i'm aware there isn't a single design course on planet earth that studies design and psychology and certainly not development and psychology from a web point of view sure so what you have is the web developers and web designers creating what they're comfortable with and what's possible with little or no thought or care to how somebody will use it. So it then becomes awkward. Um, I could start at a very, very basic point. There's serif fonts and sans serif fonts in text. So a serif font has got little bits of little lines sticking out the end of each letter in the corners. Uh, That was created in the days of print for newspapers. 
because they could print it better and it was easy to read. On the website, it's fundamentally harder to read because the way screens are put together in pixels. Sure. But you still see a lot of the wrong fonts. Yep. And as soon as you see, you make something harder to read, that introduces friction, mental friction. It reduces what we call processing fluency. And if people find it harder to think about, they're less likely to like it. Uh, and so if you, if you then take that principle forward, when you, when you come to a website, uh, obviously the, from a brand point of view, you're trying to get somebody to, to, to purchase. I guess that is the, the ultimate goal of a, of a brand if they're, if they're coming to a uh, website. Uh, and as I said, that, the same principle applies. You're, you're, you're trying to get the, the candidate to actually go through that process of, of applying. When they come to a website, are you throwing lots of different ideas at them in terms of visuals? Because uh, you don't know how that consumer is going to uh, interact with your website when you first get there. No, you don't. It goes back to our process. What you do know is they're going to react emotionally and instinctively before they react rationally. So and emotions are 3,000 times more powerful than rational thought and 24 times more persuasive. Wow. So step one is you need to get emotional connection with the person on your website. Now, you look at a lot of websites, what you see is you first click on it and it opens in front of you, you think, Where, where's the emotional hook? Where's the humanization, another face? A person's face is a very attractive thing to look at, however ugly they might be. What, what's the thing? Or is it some just meaningless, rational text that, quite frankly, takes you a lot longer to work out and you don't care about when, you, when you've read it? Yes. And it, it goes back to this, um, this process, we, you know, going through a process, not understanding how the human brain receives the process. So I remember years ago, just to digress briefly, that somebody told me, somebody very high up in HR, we said, how do you design, in those days, the newspaper adverts for jobs, yes. high-powered management jobs? And they admitted something they do that they said, a lot of the industry does the same. We look at all the other ads and cobble one together out of all of them. Yes. <laughs> now, me, I used to work for a big electrical retailer in the UK, it's no longer around, I go back 20 years, and it's absolutely true. When we were looking about how to develop our stores, we'd look at what the competitors did and, they, and copy them. Well, they were looking at us and copying us. Neither of us was looking at the supermarkets and came and took all our trade. So it, it really is about understanding your candidates, not, not doing the process, just going through a process. Yeah, really interesting. So when, when uh, we have people coming to a, a brand's website, they're coming to a brand's website either via mobile or a desktop. So there's two different experiences going on there before we even start looking at, you know, driving that emotion and, and getting them to go through, which we will talk about, getting them to go through the touch points. How do, you, how do you go about setting up the website so that that first, you can capture that emotion straight away via either channel? Because it's not always easy. The, the first thing is to understand how our attention spans are getting shorter and shorter. Sure. So we, we, want, we scan so little of what we see on the web, whatever we're reading it off. They're trying to, trying to persuade people to click on a video that's going to maybe take some time to play is, is, is the wrong way. It, it's, a, it's almost a case, and I'll use, if I may, another um, brand example from retail. And the, th the thing you need to do is turn a head, turn the person's head, and do something with that moment. So if you look at somebody's opening page, what turns your head? Is it a person's face? Is it somebody, somebody looking at something? Because if we see a picture of somebody looking at something, our eyes will follow their gaze to see what they're looking at. Yes. So just the standard library shot of somebody staring back at you is quite pointless. Um, and say, right, so I know people are now immediately with this person on the left looking to the right, looking to the right. What do I put there to grab their attention? Because I know where I've got them looking. And I say, right, play this five-second video, you'll be amazed. And that's words, but you start to take them on a really, really quick journey. 
playing to the way they're thinking, not the way you're trying to. And and that yeah, that would play out perfectly for for uh, recruitment sites, uh, you know, and you know, careers website. Obviously, you you want to drive that attention straight away. Um, you you know that words don't matter as much nowadays as they used to, so therefore, driving their attention to to a, a video. Uh, in a short space of time, as they as they first enter the enter the uh, the careers website, would make absolute sense. Yeah, and you can use lots of um, I'll say biases again to, to persuade them to play the video. So if you've got a video and you say uh, ten thousand people have already clicked on this video, that'll make more people click on it. If you personalise that bit and say ten thousand people aged twenty five to thirty four. Have also clicked on this video, and you are a three twenty five thirty four. You're even more likely to click on it. And if you could bring it right down to ten thousand people within the county of wherever have clicked on this video, even more. So the more personal you can make it, and the more social proofing you can attach to it, that other people have done it that are similar to you, the more chance you've got of them clicking on it. Yeah, absolutely, because that's that whole relatable bit, isn't it? You, you know, you're you're one of those people. Therefore, why wouldn't you then go ahead and click? So they've looked at a video, and that video may be um, a piece of clothing. Let's just say it's a clothing brand, and they've, they've, they've shown you some lovely, gorgeous people running along a beach with, with their branding on it. But what else is – you've obviously got to try and then put triggers in front of them for them to, to, to move to the next stage. Yes, I, th- I think to summarise that, you're, you're trying to move people from why should I consider buying this piece of clothing to why not buy it. So what you're trying to do with the process, going back to what you said, is every step you're at, when they see it or they turn the head, you work the, what's the next moment I want to get to and how can I get them there? During that journey, then, you're creating more emotion as you go through the journey? You're, you're basically, well, to summarise that again, you're, you're keeping it emotional where you can. So yeah. that could be tone of voice, speaking um, you as opposed to me when you're speaking to people, um, lots of emotive words in there, you're doing all that. So, yes, but you're also, because the rational brain, the prefrontal cortex, that's the front bit of our brain, the modern bit, likes to justify our own stupidity. So you have to give people a rational reason why they just did something. Is there there a limit to people's attention? So, again, if I go on a careers website uh, and I look at some of the the ads that are there uh, or some of the job descriptions, they're they're painfully long. Uh, They're normally in black and white. They normally... uh, uh, are fairly boring um, and don't get to the point very often. Uh, so we, h- how long have we got when, with, a, with a consumer or a ca- candidate? I think now, well, two things I'll say. When, when Stepping back from the internet, moment, when you first meet another person, you generate your first impression in less than half a second, half a second. Yeah. So you look at them, you judge them, you look at facial expressions, you get eye contact or not, and all that. So, so quick, half a second you've got, then first impression is made. When it comes to the internet... You've got, it keeps coming down. I hear seven seconds, I hear five seconds, I hear three and a half seconds. My own answer is, it's got to be what they, I think they call it above the fold. Yes. Somebody's got to have a reason to scroll down. And if you think they just clicked off a leading search engine, Google or another one, you know, there, there'd be a lot of other answers that they clicked like If you can't hold them to scroll or click another page, you, 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 can't, you can't keep them. And I go back to the little steps. If you, they call it, it's another cognitive bias, the IKEA effect. So if you invest time in something, an effort, so staying on a website, clicking a few times, you, become, you think it's more valuable because of your effort and you're more, more likely to stick with it. If you can get people, if they've got to answer five questions to get to the end, once they get to the first two, they're more likely to get to the end because the first one's the hardest to get them to answer. Yes. So to, to give you a very 
um, strange example, but if you say, uh, get yourself 10 stamps on your coffee card and we'll give you a free coffee. So a stamp every time you buy a coffee, do 10, we'll give you a free coffee. Yeah. Some people will take it up, some people will get to 10. If you start at two already stamped and say get 15 stamps, more people will do it because they've, they've been given something to start with. So the incentive's already there to carry exactly. on. Exactly, and right. they, they don't want to lose it. It's loss aversion again. They, they've been given something, they don't want to let go of it, so they'll keep going to get the 15, and they're actually going further to get their coffee. Sum up some of what you've, what you've said and maybe give uh, the listeners three or four key things to, to think about when they're thinking about their careers website, if that is at all possible. I know it's not your area of expertise, but certainly that, that journey process is the same. I think I can. I, I won't. The stuff that's gone, we've said, so they can, you, know, you can have that and keep that in the bank. So let's start with a few new ones that are really powerful. Mm. Um, the power of three is a nice one. So you, you want people to take a decision. Um, at the end of what they've done on your site, the best way to get them to make a decision is to give them a choice of three and highlight one as the preferred route for the reasons I gave earlier about social proofing. Yep. So because one is an ultimatum, two is two either or, three you can put in a decoy which is disproportionately weak, bad value to make one of the other two look disproportionately better. So yep. imagine 10 biscuits in a packet, 20 biscuits or 50 biscuits. You can make any one of those look better than how you price it. Another one people forget, which is let other people have a look at your site. Let other people have a play. It's so many times you see that people click on the word click here when the button was somewhere else. Or it's the tiny things you don't even think about because you've been working with the site. You know it inside out and backwards. Correct. You don't see that instinctively people are doing something else. Or you might have, silly sounds, an arrow on the site, completely irrelevant, but it points to something you don't want them to do, but they do it because it's pointing there. And I think another, just one more, just quickly, another challenge we have at the moment is trying to be friends with Google. Um, Google changes its search algorithms quite frequently. They prefer, is it between 12 and 1,500 words for long copy text on a website? Right. Um, the person reading it wants 20 words. So you really have to start thinking, do I want to get something to act on this or do I want to get found on Google or how do I make them work together? If you go online and look at the importance of being on the first page of either Google or Amazon, hardly anybody gets to page two. Yeah. It's the same as bullet points for a, a job posting. So if you take your paragraph, any paragraph, any or job ad, and say, what's the emotional hook? Go there. Where's the imagery that drives that emotional hook home in the emotional part of the brain? And then finally, at the end of the piece, right, why should they move on? Where's the so what? Um, Thanks very much for your, for your time today. I really appreciate it. Um, where can people find you? Um, www.adcocksolutions.com. Start there. I've written three books. Um, I think I'm on the TV in a couple of weeks doing something. I can't remember what that is. Uh, but the point, all I'd say, and I'm not going to sell anything, is whenever the, the people hear this podcast, just recognize that, that the people you're talking to on the web or whatever, they're people. They're not laptops. They're not mobile phones. They're people. And we're deeply flawed as a species. <laughs> With those wise words, we'll finish the interview. Phil, thanks very much for your time today. Uh, and uh, hopefully we'll get to speak to you again soon. Take care. Thank you, Thank you very much. It just remains for me to say, if you enjoyed today's episode, uh, please subscribe to the podcast uh, and leave a nice review. That would be great. Um, this has been Recruitment Revealed. We'll speak to you again soon. Take care.